This is a broadcast of SmallCapVoice.com, a financial communications and investor relations firm. SmallCapVoice.com receives payment for investor relations and financial consulting services that it provides to its clients. You should assume that officers, directors, and employees of SmallCapVoice.com or financial analysts mentioned and their families hold a position and intend to trade in these securities for their own accounts. This is not an offer or recommendation to buy or sell securities. Information in this broadcast is presented solely for informative purposes and is not intended to be nor should it be construed as investment advice. As in all investments, an investment in a featured company carries an investment risk. Listeners should review the company thoroughly with a registered investment advisor or registered stockbroker. This broadcast does not purport to be a complete study of the featured company or other companies mentioned. Information used and statements of fact have been obtained from the featured company and other sources but not verified nor guaranteed by smallcapvoice.com as to completeness or accuracy. Such information is subject to change without notice. You're wired in smallcapvoice.com. Following is a presentation of smallcapvoice.com, today's leader in investor relations, capital formation, and retail support. Now, with your online business briefing, smallcapvoice.com's Stuart T. Smith. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us once again here today at smallcapvoice.com, where we shine a spotlight on some of the freshest and smartest plays here in the small and microcap market. And as you just heard, I'm your host, Stuart Smith, and we're welcoming back to the show TerraTech Corp. Companies traded under the ticker symbol TRTC, and you might recall we recently did the uh, annual shareholder conference call. That link is available right next to this one if you want to catch up on all things the company achieved in 2015. But right now, we're going to jump into some recent news. In our last audio interview, not the conference call, we were just talking about the Bloom acquisition, and we're welcoming Derek Peterson into the show because, Derek, you guys had a major achievement here recently announced the actual closing of this acquisition with Bloom. Welcome to the show, Derek. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for having us on again. Uh, yeah, yeah, we actually yeah, we, we, we closed within our time frame. And uh, we burned up uh, January and February and March putting a lot of uh, standard operating procedures and protocols together that were essentially bringing a private company up to the standards they would need to operate at to operate as a public company. And what sounds like a little job is actually it's, it's, it's pretty in-depth in terms of uh, how we change the level of which we operate, our reporting standards and that type of thing going from private to public. So now that we've built those procedures and protocols, uh, you know, getting us from point A to point B, we can now utilize those same processes to execute on additional, like I said, short-term accretive acquisitions, which are part of our business model. Uh, you know, now we've built that structure, we built that process. So when we go into a new facility, we're able to turn the operations uh, into something that's you know similar, congruent with what we need to be able to operate as a public company. And that was the biggest that was the biggest effort that we had in the beginning part of the year before we closed on this was changing those operations uh, inside. And now we've been able to execute on that. We did so a little bit early. We closed on the transaction. That way, day one when we closed, every piece of revenue that goes through one of these facilities is an auditable, auditable piece of revenue. We're able to report on our quarterly filings as well as our annual reports, and that was extremely important to us to make certain we could capture every dollar in this cash-based business that was transacting at point of sale in these, in, uh, at, at Bloom. 
Well, and there was some additional great news for the company that has sent this stock on a tear. Now, that started when uh, the company reported its record revenue, or in anticipation of that, actually. It's been about uh, almost a full 30 days that the stock has been trending up. And there was also the pre-filled cannabis oil cartridges press release that came out. And Derek, this is an interesting press release because this is a new market that you've tapped into here as well. And it's a growing market as well. Well, I think everyone knows California is the largest medical cannabis market in, in, in probably in the world. That being said, you know, we're heavily embedded here, and with the closure of the Bloom acquisition, it gives us a fully integrated facility. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. I think I said it on the conference call. AB 266 and some of the regulation that passed here does not allow for vertical integration. It only allows for vertical integration if you're grandfathered by a local permit. And in Oakland, we're grandfathered by a local permit. We will be one of only just a handful of vertically integrated facilities in the entire state, which to me gives us a huge competitive advantage from a product quality standpoint, an operational and a margin standpoint. We do production. We create extracts, oils, and those types of things. We grow and cultivate, and we retail dispense all on one campus. Uh, part of that was to continue to roll out additional products into the line of uh, concentrates under IVXX. We do shatters and waxes and those types of things, but those convenience items like pre-filled cartridges, to me, are probably some of the most important because people love to buy flour. They like to break that flour up. They like to roll joints and those types of things, but a lot of people like the grab-and-goes. So pre-filled cartridges pre-rolled joints or cigarette packages and those types of things are becoming a larger piece of the market because of the convenience associated. And we wanted to make sure we didn't miss the boat on that. So, yeah, we've, uh, we've launched a preliminary cartridge that will be, uh, that will be distributed here shortly, and uh, we're going to have more on the backbone of that, you know, different ranges of THC levels, different strains and those types of things, and we'll have follow-up announcements on that. But that is a, that's a primary focus to continue to build out that IVXX brand, not only here, but uh, in Nevada as well, and we will have uh, IVXX concentrates on our shelves during our grand opening in uh, in Nevada. Before we jump into some of the filings, let's talk about that grand opening there in Nevada. That came out uh, April 6th. Now, what a great day to be held on, 420, April 20th, 2016. This is a big one because the Nevada-based medical cannabis dispensary was approved by the Las Vegas City Council. This gives you a foothold in the area. We talked about it again in the conference call, but let's uh, get your insights into it one more time. I mean, we're really excited about it, obviously. This is our first facility in the state that will be opening up. Um, this is uh, on Western Ave. It's in the city of Las Vegas. We'll be holding a grand opening party on uh, April 20th. We'll have local political leaders there. We'll have a lot of news media there, some music refreshments. Uh, it'll be almost like a little expo. There'll be tables of neighboring businesses and vendors there for people to get familiar with. It's, it's a real opportunity for us to build and entrench ourselves in the local business community as well as with the patient base that's there. Um, so, yeah, we'll be holding that for the for the majority of the day. We'll put out a press release discussing the times and that type of thing and also be sending out invitations so people have more clarity on on uh, what's taking uh, taking place that day. But huge step forward for us. You know, the, the Nevada medical marijuana market isn't, uh, isn't going to blow up overnight. It's going to take time to build. Um, that's one of the reasons we stalled some of these projects and pushed these projects out a little bit so that we weren't open to some semblance of a vacuum, that we were open to into more of a developed marketplace. And uh, as we all know, recreational is on the ballot for November. That's the big paradigm shift in the state. I think medical will do very, very well. Businesses will grow and prosper, especially because there's a limited amount of them, and we're somewhat protected from that standpoint. 
but if medical or I'm sorry, if recreational explodes in the state, you're looking at 41, 42 million visitors that came in last year. And if you look at WhiteHouse.gov, an average of 8% of the population that tries cannabis, if those same numbers, 8% of 42 million people, on top of the people that use it for medical necessity, on top of the people that live within the state, utilize recreational cannabis in the state, the numbers are astronomical, especially when you're talking about, you know, 60 or so dispensaries to service that potential base. And I actually think that number, if 8% is the national average, that number in Las Vegas is probably a lot greater than that because the people that are traveling to Las Vegas are doing so for recreational reasons. So we're excited about the potential passage of that, but the worst case scenario is we think medical is going to be really strong. We're going to be opening up our other two by summertime uh, that are in the city of Las Vegas in the Clark County area, and then is, uh, the Reno one should be opening in about that same time frame. So by midsummer, uh, early to midsummer, we're going to have all four retail dispensaries open, and then on the backbone of that, we're continuing to build out and work on our cultivation and production facilities. Derek, a big buzz on the boards and your faithful following there for TerraTech is the recent uh, filings the company's done on the corporate side. Let's jump into that. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. We just filed a, uh, an S3 registration, and we just filed a proxy to increase the authorized shares and a couple other activities. So I'll, I'll walk you through that real quick. I, we met the market cap standards to file an S3 registration, uh, a $75 million shelf registration. Now, that doesn't mean we're raising $75 million, nor does it mean we could raise $75 million. What it means is we were eligible to file an S3. Um, we hope to get effective under that S3, and it means that potential access to significantly more affordable financing for us as a company. It takes us away from having to do some of the, the deeper discount financing we've done in the past and allows us to get effective and uh, you know, negotiate deals and those types of things. At the time, we're effective. There are a lot more uh, advantageous to the company and a lot less dilutive to shareholders. So it made a lot of sense for us to do that. We pick a high number so that we have the ability to pull from it over a period of time if we need to. But that was a huge step forward for us to be able to have that level of eligibility, to be able to even file it. And we, you know, we hope to be able to get the thing effective. We've raised our corporate governance standards. We've uplisted to the QX. We've increased our revenue and, and margins and, and, and all the activities we need to do to make the company healthy. So we hope that brings some semblance of, uh, of, of comfort to the, uh, to the industry that's out there as, we're, you know, as we go into this filing. Uh, in addition to that, uh, yeah, we raised, uh, we filed a proxy to raise our, our authorized shares. Uh, we did so for two reasons. Number one, we needed the extra shares to be able to uh, give the common shares out to the uh, owners of Bloom, the company we just closed on, number one. Number two, we need to make sure we have additional shares for financings in the future, uh, you know, for example, the S3 registration. And uh, number three, I wanted an extra uh, pool of shares to be able to have for uh, additional acquisitions. Like I said, while we're focused on this long game of uh, building out permits in Nevada and other locations, we wanted to make sure we balanced that with short-term activities that brought you know, instant revenue and instant margin to the company. So short-term acquisitions in the California marketplace are a primary focus for us. We've got great relationships here. We know a lot of owners, uh, and there's a lot of people that are ready to cash out. So we wanted to be able to take advantage of that, and I love to be able to use the equity to be able to do so. So uh, we wanted to make sure we had a pool of those uh, available for that as well. And, I, and, and one other activity that's probably uh, an eye-opener for people is we put some language in there to, to give us the ability to affect a reverse split at some point in time. As I've said to our shareholders from day one, you know, our goal and objective is to be listed on an exchange. And to do that, we need to meet price parameters or price per share parameters. And one of the only ways to be able to do that, if we can't perform into where we need to be in that short duration, is to, to conduct a reverse split. 
So we certainly have no intention to do that into a vacuum, as I said before, but we do want to have the ability to be able to do that in uh, congruency or in concert with an uplisting. And we don't know when that will be. A lot of it's going to be uh, you know, when the NASDAQ or when some other exchange is ready to take companies like ours. We, we are certainly making certain that we, we fit the uh, compliance parameters, the corporate governance parameters, the shareholders' equity, which we already have achieved parameters and those types of things. Well, Derek, thanks for taking the time to give us that update and provide your insight. And once again, congratulations on closing that acquisition we mentioned on the outside here with Bloom and articulating how that will be compensated and how they're coming into the fold and all the work you really had to do to get that private company up to the public company side. Thanks, Stuart. We, we, We appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was a lot of hard work. You know, we made a little bit of history doing so. Um, but now we've built those standard operating procedures and those protocols, and we know how to go on an acquisition campaign now and be able to execute on it, that and maintain auditability being the most important. Uh, it wasn't easy to get from point A to point B, but with a good team and you know working with our auditors, we've been able to affect that. We, um, we are contracting with a major auditing firm to conduct the audit of Bloom because we have 75 days to file audited financials, so people will see a follow-up AK with those numbers embedded in them uh, come the dis- not-too-distant future. And that's really why we wanted to price the deal on a go-forward basis, because to be able to look back at a private company that's operating without gap, you know, qualified financials was uh, difficult. It was a difficult risk to assume. Now, I was part owner, so for me it wasn't as difficult, but for our shareholders we wanted to make sure they had some semblance of coverage uh, and comfort with the deal, so we priced it on a go-forward basis. So the owners of Bloom are only going to be getting paid out on what revenue takes place over the forward-looking 12 months. That way, shareholders know exactly what they're buying, and we did that on purpose. So we hope everybody feels comfortable with it, and we uh, we look forward to be able to execute on more trans- transactions like that in the not-too-distant future. But thanks for your uh, questions, Stuart, and thanks for the time. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, Derek. Listeners, if you want to learn more about the company, it's very easy. Use that ticker symbol TRTC or just visit TerraTechCorp.com. For Derek Peterson, this is Stuart Smith saying thanks so much for listening. SmallCapVoice.com, today's leader in investor relations, capital formation, and retail support, provides its clients with the highest level of service. Our audio interviews are disseminated to one of the largest opt-in audiences available today. How? We at SmallCapVoice.com believe in aligning and affiliating ourselves with other leaders within the investor relations community. By sharing resources, each affiliated firm is made that much stronger and each client is served that much better. Our focus is to identify and provide the very best financial services and solutions available to clients and their shareholders. For more information about our services, please call us at 512-267-2430 or visit us on the web at www.smallcapvoice.com.